guys. Welcome to Overcrest. I'm Chris. I'm Jake. And we have a really special show today. Really special. I should I, say a special guest for a special show. Special guest, special show. Um, we're going to have Alex Roy in on the podcast. And if you don't know who Alex Roy is, you haven't been paying attention. Well, but you should also pause this podcast right now and look him up and yeah. see what he does. I don't know him by name. But I know he's the guy. You know the ethos. Exactly. Yeah, he's very enigmatic. Um, he's a TV host and race car driver who's set various endurance, I would say, outlaw racing records. That's driving what I know country. him from. Right. So he's basically, um, he's he has an M5 yep. that he's driven all over the place. He did tons of gumball rallies, um, gumball 2000, 3000, all these different gumballs around the world. Mm -hmm. So he, that's kind of how it started for him with, with that. And then he's like, I'll, I'll let him explain how I got into the, you know, the transcontinental record. But he ended up having the record set at, what do we got here? It is um, 31 minutes. No, 31 hours and four minutes. 31 hours and four minutes. Yes. So I think it was, he beat the record. For 2,794 miles. Right. And the previous record was, I think, 32 hours, seven minutes, which coincidentally is the name of his film that he did on this. You can go look up the film oh, really? if, you'd like to, Very cool. if you'd like to see his journey across the country. Um, now he uh, runs the HDA, which is the Human Driving Association. For, so he is the founder for this. Now, what's interesting is I've always followed the Human Driving Association on Twitter because okay. it's just you, you just know, came across it and you're I came like, across I it. it. I'm like, I love it. It's kind of like I like what they do. And we're going to go through their manifesto a little bit. Um, so okay. why don't you pull that up so we can so we can go through it a little sure. bit. And then without knowing that Alex Roy started the HDA, mm -hmm. I asked him, hey, would you like to come on the podcast? Because I think he, I thought he would be interesting to have on and we could talk about um, his transcontinental drives, his book. He's written a book that's really great. It's about this um, journey and the gumball and everything else. Yeah, he obviously has stories to tell. Stories to tell, right? I mean, the, <laughs> the guy's got stories. He's he's really eccentric. He loves audio equipment, too. Okay. From what I, at least from what I could tell. I was watching the film. I could see some Martin Logan speakers in the background. <laughs> so clearly the guy so likes So you audio. reached out to him because of that. Yes. And then was he like, oh, I also have he goes, Human Driving Association. He's like, yeah, I'd love to. Can we talk about the Human Driving Association? I'm like, whoa and then i like <laughs> you're like what about I, it i like it yeah and then i I put the connection together and then i mean it's just it, everything kind of came together and it's yeah. really really right up my so alley. let me read through this this is the human driving manifesto we are pro-human in pursuit of life liberty and freedom of movement by any means that does not infringe upon the safety of others number two we are pro-technology but only as a means not an end Technology is only as good as our understanding of it, and an incremental approach will save more lives in the near and long term. Number three, we are pro-safety through a combination of improved driver education, deployment of advanced driving assistance systems, what they call ADAS, and parallel automation. Number four, we support raising driver licensing standards. Driving is a privilege, not a right. Abuse it and lose it periodic retesting is essential. Number five, we support defined safety standards and transparency. Safe and safer must be defined and claims by autonomous vehicle manufacturers and providers must be backed up by data shared publicly. Number six, we are pro steering wheel. I, I like just that. want to repeat that. We are pro <laughs> steering wheel. No vehicle should be deployed without a steering wheel. That seems Obvious, and I can get behind that. Number seven, we are pro-choice and pro-life. Pro-choice in how people get from A to B. Pro-life in the deployment of safety technologies that are both safe, that both save lives and preserve freedom. Number eight, 
We support fairness and due process in the creation and enforcement of traffic laws. We are opposed to arbitrary traffic stops, unwarranted search and seizure, incentive-driven speed and safety enforcement. Number nine, we support freedom of movement and traffic neutrality, guaranteeing free and open access to all infrastructure, regardless of income level, whether you're for human or self-driven cars, guaranteeing freedom of movement for all. Number 10, we are pro-privacy. All connected services should be opt-in, not opt-out. All vehicles, whatever level of automation, may be capable of operating completely independent of any communication network, aka you can still drive your 911 on right. an automated roadway. Right. Uh, number 11 here, we support classification standards for automated vehicles, clarifying safety capabilities, and the replacement of SAE automation levels with a system whose language allows for alternative human-centric R&D paths. And lastly, we are pro-constitutional amendment, creating a right to drive with the limits of safety technologies that do not infringe upon our freedom of movement. So they're actually calling that this should be a constitutional amendment. Right, right. A constitutional like amendment. Yes, I'm so you understand I'm like this is this is everything I love this. Saying. This is everything I've been saying. Yeah. And, and when I came across this I'm like, yes, this is this is everything. And now I'm wearing a shirt right now with from the HDA which I bought a, a while ago. And on the back it says when driving is outlawed, only outlaws will drive. So I kind of like I was trying to figure out what to do with this interview with Alex and I think what it comes down to is um being like a legendary outlaw driver. Right. Kind of how he started with with the gumball and the transcontinental stuff, which is all highly illegal. Right. right. But now he's doing the HDA, which is also kind of trying to fight the inevitability of becoming an outlaw. Sure. Because if this stuff doesn't happen, everybody that still wants to drive will be considered an outlaw. You will be considered a rebel. Right. And I think we see that in pop culture, in the movies and everything, all the different movies out there where there's always some guy driving around some, you know, combustion engine monstrosity how just, dare he yeah it's just making all kinds <laughs> they, of noise like i robot they featured that same thing oh yeah driving yourself well the best one is, is is uh, uh what is it the oh last no chase. no <laughs> the last chase that you know that's great we're gonna have we're gonna have a showing here at the studio yes. on saturday um it's demolition man oh yeah of course he Sylvester has the, Stallone. he has the camaro ss and he drives it through the through the plate glass right. window and everybody's Which, by the way that must have had some amazing fuel stabilizer in that tank yes yeah i'm sure i'm sure it must have <laughs> although i mean at some point you could probably rig something up to run on ethanol you could distill your own fuel sure right? i'm sure you could figure out some way to keep cars going i'm really curious i, I wonder if i'll be a, a, alive long enough no. to see where the real outlaws are i mean obviously i don't think we're gonna have mad max in the thunderdome where we're all driving <laughs> you know we're, we're all killing each other for oil stealing the gas truck and stealing the gas truck blowing everything up <laughs> i feel like you secretly hope for that oh. as a future <laughs> <laughs> only if i can still play xbox at the same time yeah, as go. long as we can still do stuff like that so, so we got on a tangent but the Human Driving Association yeah. is awesome, and so, Alex Roy is behind that. Yeah, so we're going to be talking about his history with transcontinental drives and and kind of where he comes from at root, his origins, and how it all kind of shifted into the HDA. And he's, you know, he's really into it. He works for Argo AI, and we're going to talk about that, which is an artificial intelligence automated driving company. We want to talk about that. Oh, he, really? Yeah, he's like really, really into this. So we're going to, we're going to cover all this in today's episode. So I hope you really, really enjoy that. Awesome. I know I am looking forward to it. 
Yes. We're also going to get into some news at the end of the episode uh, after the interview as well. So before we get into Alex and have him on the podcast, why don't we talk a little bit about Patreon.com and what's happening? Yes. So you can go over to Patreon.com slash Overcrest and find us there. You can support us, the podcast that you love, and you are now going to get exclusive content we're recording that, that no today. one else will get. Yes. We're uh, we're doing a history story here that I have presented just for our exclusive, our Patreon members. It's going to be really cool. So head over there patreon.com slash overcrest uh also if you like this podcast guess what your friends probably will too spread the word that's how we grow that's how we get to keep doing this yep don't be a jerk don't be selfish tell your friends right don't yeah. hold this for yourself just it's not because just for you. yeah just because you're spreading it doesn't mean it, it dilutes it or anything of that <laughs> i don't know how that would work but anyway anyways share it with your friends we appreciate it we'll be right back mr alex roy how's it going man how are you, Alex Roy? Right here. <laughs> hey, glad we glad we could find you and get hooked up. Um, it's a real pleasure of having course. you on the podcast. I I really appreciate you coming on. Thank you so much for having me on. You know, I talked a little bit about the in the intro of getting to this point here on the podcast about how I had found the Human Driving Association before I knew you had anything to do with it. So I invited you to come on the podcast based on the transcontinental drive stuff, and then found out you did the HDA, and I was like, oh my god, this is absolutely perfect. <laughs> Thank you so much. You know, it's funny. A lot of people thought, didn't know if it was serious. And then there were people who were convinced that it was like the most serious thing that ever happened, you know? Um, so yeah, thanks. I'm really glad you connected the dots. Yeah, it works out really well. So um, before we get into, you know, the HDA and the transcontinental drive stuff, I want to talk a little bit about where motoring started for you. And for a lot of us, it starts with our, with our fathers. How did yours uh, inspire you and, and get you on the path that you're on today? So, uh, I mean, it, in 1940, my dad and his older brother, my dad was a, was a kid, was living in, in Brussels, and the Germans were bombing the city. And he and his older brother, who was, I think, 17, my dad was like 16 or 15, uh, had to, they, were, they, they didn't know how to escape. And so they ended up breaking into a car dealership, a Citroën dealership in Brussels, and steal, stealing a hand-crank Citroën. And his older brother, my uncle, knew a little bit how to drive, and they got the family in the car and their neighbors and escaped and drove to, to Paris. Wow. And on the way, like, the, the Germans, like, strafed the convoy. It was a whole mess. But years later, my father loved sports cars. He was in the U.S. Army. And uh, at the end of the war, he met some German POWs and became friends with them. And one of them was named Hans Sixt. And today, if you go to an airport in Europe, or maybe some in the U.S., you see Sixt rent a car. That's Hans Sixth. And he and my dad became friends after the war because they both loved cars. And that's how my dad started the, the family business and got into the car business. So how did that all kind of be imparted on you? Because in, in your book, you talk a little bit about, you know, talking to your father as he was getting older in life. And he, you know, he told you about, you know, some of the stories and the things he's done. But that wouldn't have fascinated you unless there was already a seed planted. What was that original thing? <laughs> So, you know, I grew up every summer, we'd go to Europe and visit family in France and Germany. And we would be lent a car from a different company. So we'd get, you know, Mercedes, Benz, uh, you know, BMW, Audi. Uh, and so, and when I was 16, had a learner's permit, my father, you know, let me drive in Europe on these roads. And I just got the bug. Like, I was like, I am going to own a car someday. I want to drive fast. And, you know, later in his life, you know, in the late 90s when he got sick, he told me about how much he wanted to do the original cannonball race. And I vowed that someday I was going to do that. But 
it, no one was putting it on anymore. I would have to figure out a way to do it myself. So how did you, uh, uh, translate into being an outlaw. Were you okay with that, knowing that you were doing these illegal things? Because every time I see any of your media and stuff, you always have this a little bit of a trepidation like, with what you're doing, and you're very, very careful. How did you reconcile that? Uh, so, um, you know, there was, you know, having read Car and Driver Road and Track all my whole life, it became very clear to me that there were like, there was a divide in the car community. There's a street racer, kids, and they're people who are serious about driving. And the kids claim to love their cars, but it's not clear they care about safety or professionalism. And then there are real people who are serious about it. And so I was always afraid, I, I was afraid that I would hurt someone else, but I was never afraid of hurting myself. And I think it takes a very special person to know where the line can be drawn, where you're, you're risking other people's lives versus your own. And so when I started doing this, I vowed that I would never risk anyone else's life except my own. And I've lived with this fear that I, I would inspire someone else to take a risk and it would get blamed on me. And I still carry that today, but not as much as I used to. So even though this stuff is a speed run when you're driving across the country, there's there's a lot of time. Like everybody's like, yeah, well, you're going 90 miles an hour. But yeah, you're doing it for 30 hours. So there's there's a lot of time for introspection. What's kind of as you're like <laughs> as the lines are speeding underneath the car, what are you thinking about most? Well, to be clear, you know, uh, sitting in a car for 30 hours and driving cross country or 31 hours, you think it's a lot of time. It is not. <laughs> when you're driving at 120 or 140 miles an hour for four, four five, six, seven hours, 30 hours, you all you're all I'm thinking about is, uh, have you ever gone scuba diving? I have not. Okay, well, if you go scuba diving, what are you thinking about? Check oxygen, mm. check depth. Don't you know, drown. Look for your, <laughs> yeah, look for your buddy. Look for sharks. You, you have this. You have this protocol of things you're checking all the time to make sure you stay alive. So you're going 125 miles an hour or 140 on a public road. What are you looking for? It's like look for police. Um, look for other cars. Check for animals. Check the therm, you know, check the thermal camera. Check the radar detector. You know, one ear you've got, you know, the police scanner. The other ear you've got a phone to control, mission control in New York talking about the weather. So it is an endless cycle, a, re, a, rep, you know, a repetition of these safety protocols and monitoring protocols to avoid police. When I did it with Dave Maher, my, my, you know, one of my best friends, you know, no one had done it in 27 years that, that we were aware of, or 25 years. And it, we were told by everyone that it was impossible. So our fear and stress levels were like off the charts because we just didn't know if we could get away with it, if we would be killed or it, you know, what would happen. Um, and that's, it's, it's very high stress. So how do you find a co-driver that's willing and competent enough to do something like this with you? I mean, that's gotta be part <laughs> or, of the Or crazy <laughs> enough, maybe. Yeah. That's... Right, so, uh, you know, I needed somebody who had driving skill equal to or superior to my own who, um, could throw in five or 10 grand for wearables and um, who I like spending time with. So I followed an example um, that was given to me from the eighties, uh, you know, inviting people over to my apartment. I had set up Forza Motorsports side by side on an oval track with an, uh, uh, no time limit. And then I'd make them sit there and drive on the oval in the game with me <laughs> in like a seat with a wheel. And, and I would just say, start driving. And we'd start driving and about somewhere between 20, like, you know, what are we doing? And I'd say, keep driving. 
And around 40 minutes in, they'd say, well, what are we doing? I'd say, you know, if you can't sit here with me and drive in a video game, you know, without asking questions, why can I, why should I risk my life? You know, like sure. you in a car for 30 hours. Cause in the old days, what people would do to audition drivers is sit in the driveway and not drive at all. and just sit in the car and see how long they could handle it. So, uh, and finally, one guy comes in and he says to me, look, I could do this all day. You know, it's like, what do you want? I said, convince me why I should take you with me. And he said something no one else said. Everyone else said, we're going to kick ass. We can do this. I got this. And this guy says, I want to do this because I want something money cannot buy. There is no amount of money you could pay anyone to take you in a car to do this. It's difficult. It's work and it requires discipline. And the kind of person who says that is a person who wants not only to succeed, but they want to live. And mm-hmm. thrill seekers should not be doing this. So there had to have been some sort of adrenaline rush with this and some sort of kick from it. Where do you get that from now that you don't do this stuff anymore? <laughs> uh, you know, it's been 10 years. I'm a very different person. You know, uh, I have a baby. All I literally all I think about is my is my daughter. Um, and uh, it's, it's very satisfying to look back and say, I needed to do that at that time. And, and to say, I don't need to do that anymore. You know, I think a lot of people in life and no matter what they're doing are convinced that they have to be you know, the best at something and that they have to be the best at that thing forever. And they chase, they chase happiness, you know, in, in a circle, get older, all of us change over time, but to try to pretend we're always going to be 20 or 25 or 30 and always going to be the champion of anything is a mistake. Uh, you know, we have to grow with our, with time and understand what really matters. So when people ask me today, why did you go back out and break the record again? How could you let someone break your record? I say, I'm so glad someone broke it. So now I have a friend that I can talk to about it sure. because it sucks to be the guy. Uh, it sucks. People always want to take you down. Um, I'm, I'm happy people have now four or five teams have broken our time and we're, we're all great friends. So you've also done this in a Morgan and I I have to ask, that is the most masochistic thing I've ever heard doing this in a three wheel Morgan. Was that why, why, why would you do that to yourself? All right. So everything I just said to you a moment ago was a lie because I really, I, I, okay. I, I I didn't want, I didn't want to just retire. I did want a challenge and going across faster in a newer, better car uh, did not seem very satisfactory. I wanted to do something that was more difficult so I could claim an, a record that no one would ever take from me. And that <laughs> record is the, ma- is the masochism cannonball. Um, and also Morgans are famous for being pieces of junk. So I, I thought that that would be a special challenge. So I convinced the guy to go with me that I didn't know who had never driven the car before. We met like two hours prior. And Zach Bowman is a great journalist and motorcycle, uh, you know, racer. And that was the worst experience of my life. Uh, <laughs> we were on the, we were on the road, broke on the side of the road, broken down or troubleshooting for four or five hours, but we still set the record. I think it's 41 hours and change. It was horrible. And we were covered in ice. He wore motorcycle technicals and I wore period correct gear from like the twenties. <laughs> it was, we both, we hated ourselves. We hated each other. But I love that man, Zach Bowman. He's a real champion. Awesome. So um, before we get into the Human Driving Association and kind of your your philosophies on that, I want to read a little bit of, from an article that you wrote and then go mm-hmm. right into a question. You said in a, this is from an article on Drive. 
With the rise of self-driving cars, an army of experts would have us believe freedom and choice are a bad thing. From behind the banner of safety, they claim autonomous technology will save us from the tyranny and danger of human control. Their strategy is to claim that autonomous technology creates an either-or scenario which human driving is in conflict with safety. That strategy is based on a lie. So what did you mean by that when you said that strategy is based on a lie? All right, so think about how the companies like, and by the way, let me start. I'm speaking for myself, Alex Roy, right now. I'm not speaking for any organization. I'm not speaking for the self-driving sector or anybody. I'm speaking as, my, as myself and the Human Driving Association. Um, if you look back to the last five years of how self-driving cars have been marketed and you know these, these claims have been made that it's going to save us from pollution and traffic and, uh, and keep us safe, there's no evidence of those things. There's no evidence at all. In fact, we have not yet seen a demonstration, a successful demonstration that this stuff actually works publicly. Uh, and there's always excuses. And then we're also been told that in order for this stuff to work, that you know, um, people will have to be removed from the sidewalk. People will have to wear reflective vests. All these things, all these you know, catches and excuses. And so it became very obvious to me that you know, if you want to make people safe train them to drive better. If you want to stop pollution, get people to drive less. If you want to re reduce traffic, get people on bicycles or on trains. And so what's really driving a lot of the propaganda around self-driving? So I began, I really devoted my entire career or journalism career to learning more about it. And it became very clear that there are many different forms of it and that some of it like, I mean, I mean, I hate to bring guns into this. Are guns good or bad? Well, they're, you know, like any technology, it's only as good or as bad as we choose it to be, as the training used to deploy it, as the laws around its, you know, uh, our freedom to, to buy it. And so self-driving, like, like any form of automation or robotics, is only as good or as bad as we allow it to be. If, we, if you live in, I'm trying to think, if you live in um, Singapore, a country with a very centralized government, um, you know, it's probably the kind of place where you could deploy, the, uh, deploy it and people would be okay with it. Right. But you can't go to Texas and tell people hmm. that it's 100% safe and that, they're, that they can't own a car. So if you look at different companies that are making self-driving cars, some of them have a business plan associated with it, which absolutely requires that to become profitable, that nobody own a car. That doesn't work for me. I want to choose. I want to own a car. And so that doesn't work for me. And if you go to some of the other companies, they will say the truth, which is this will work some of the time over here, but not over there. And there is, we're not forced into it. So I like to say that I'm pro-choice when it comes to technology and, and automation. I want the choice of whether or not I can use something. And I don't want to force on anyone else that choice. I like people to be free. It's, a, it's not an American concept, but it is very, very foundational to what it is, I think, to be an American, uh, which then brings us to the second half of the answer. And this is, you know, it, it's not political, but it sounds like it's political. Well, that's what I was going to ask. Like, where is this where is this coming from? There's there must be some sort of root morality that people are skipping over and they must be convincing themselves of something. So we get into cars every day, all over where people get into cars every day and different countries have different policies about training and education and safety. You go to Germany, go to Latvia, go to say, Nordic countries and the training is incredible. And the crash rates are much lower than in the United States. 
uh, you know, in the United States, you know, we've got 50 different states, 50 different sets of rules about it. And that's fine. You know, it's not a criticism of, of our system. But, you know, <laughs> I take it very personally that I am the safest driver I can possibly be. And when I hear that a friend had a crash and they say, oh, I lost control of my car and you know, I skidded off the road, yada, yada. But I got a new one. It's cool. Insurance paid for it. <laughs> that actually disgusts me. Because what happened, they didn't lose control. They never had control because they didn't understand how to drive. And if someone got hurt or killed and insurance paid for it, no, they didn't take responsibility for that. And, you know, the the companies in the self-driving sector that keep saying, oh, we'll solve 94% of those crashes caused by humans by taking away the steering wheel. Well, if everybody was a professional driver, that justification would be taken away. And then the only reason to pay for a self-driving car would be convenient. And so people are letting themselves, you know, just, they're just giving away, uh, giving away the choice to become safer, better, more professional drivers. Listen, we all know, I don't want to drive in traffic. Do you? Of course not. So I want a car that I own with a button inside mode when I choose. That's what I want. But I don't want to be told I can't own a car. I object to that. So there seems now, to be like an today, inev- there seems to be like an inevitability to this, right? It's like if you remember Agent Smith from The Matrix, he's like, "It is inevitable," yeah. right? So it, 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 he it, says it, actually, he says that sound, Neo. That is the sound of inevitability. That's right. That's <laughs> what, your death. That's yeah. what the media is doing. That's it. Feels like it's being pushed as this inevitable thing that cannot be. It can't be stopped, and it's almost like, um, you know, you say in in your movie that religion. Uh, the religion of some of the religion you found in your life, you've found through driving. But I don't think yeah. but I don't think like the soccer mom is ever going to get that feeling. <laughs> so how do we get well, the I, regular people to get it? You know, how do we convince them? It's easy to convince you and me because we're emotional about this topic. But just the regular guy driving around, how do we convince him that this is a bad thing that it's being taken away from? Well, him? here's the thing. If there's nothing wrong with automation that makes people safer, reduces traffic, any of that. But we have to have choice. So. Let me ask you this question. Wouldn't you love to own a sports car with a steering wheel? You own it. And if you try to turn into a wall, it won't let you hit it. It just turns back. Right. Of course you would. Yeah, I I think that would be okay. Although there's something about, you know, there's something about older cars being dangerous that I kind of like knowing that that wall is there. I feel like I can almost conquer something by not hitting the wall. (laughs) Of course. (laughs) Well, look, at the end of the day, what's going to happen in the future is Cars with steering wheels are going to have better and better safety systems. ABS, traction, dynamic stability control will evolve into systems that will not let you crash while you are steering. That's inevitable. We can't be stopped. That can't, we can't stop that. And I'm okay with that kind of system um, because you, that still allows us to choose where we go, when we go, um, but we, don't, we can't hurt anyone else. That's just, that, I'm fine with that. I'm not fine with, with, car, with being told I can't own a car at all. Right. And the, the, th- the thing about old cars is eventually uh, the kind of people who can afford to maintain them will self-select into a safer group. Mm-hmm. Because if you can afford to maintain an older car, chances are you are responsible. And companies like Haggerty have done a wonderful job of insuring older vehicles at reasonable cost um, because they, they understand the, their demographic. They understand th- this culture. But under no circumstances will I ever be cool in, you know, in a world where I can't own a car, I can't turn off the connectivity, I can't have privacy, I want to be free. Because self-driving cars, even if they work perfectly, will never work everywhere in the world. 
There's always going to be a place they won't work. What if I want to go there on vacation or buy a house or it snows, there's a fire or there's a hurricane. You can't tell me that the people in Florida uh, and in the California wildfires, you can't tell me that those people are going to give up car ownership to live on bicycles and in self-driving cars. It's cultural, whether we like it or not. I think it's up to us to tell people that about that, though. It's like, hey, your autonomous car is not driving through a wildfire to save you. It's not. You know? So, so, I mean, which brings us to actually, uh, you know, where where I am today. I have been so aggressive a critic, Uh, not not just so much of of automation itself. Because automation is like the weather. It's as good or as bad as our understanding of it and how we channel it, but of the BS and propaganda around very cynical and I think um, exploitative um, iterations of it. You know, there are business plans out there. There are people who literally don't want us to own anything. A rentership society. I don't even own my furniture. Well, it's, mobi- it's all about mobility providing now. That's the, <laughs> yeah. that's the tag word or the buzzword I hear is mobility <laughs> provider. So, yeah, it's, and it's mostly a BS term. If I have a bicycle, and some sneakers and an old car I can fix. I am the freest person in the world. <laughs> you so, are your own mobility <laughs> provider at that point. Absolutely, of course. And if you if you if you look forward 50 years, I would like to remain that free. I would like a button that makes my car self-driving when I choose, but it's still there waiting for me, and I'm willing to pay for it. The the founding fathers considered the freedom of movement so fundamental, a human right that they actually removed the specific language pertaining to it, and now it's only implied as part of interstate commerce clause. Um, but if you go to 19, I think 48 or so, the United Nations Universal Declaration of Human Rights says freedom of movement, the fundamental human right. And so it's, it's essential that no matter what technologies are deployed, that everyone, everywhere, but I'm an American, so we'll start with the United States, has an option to get from A to B, not just one way, but in multiple ways. That should include the freedom to buy a car, and they should be licensed, and they should be proven to be safe, and we should increase licensing standards. And as technologies evolve to make cars safer, they should not prohibit private ownership. And we probably should do a better job of improving our roads and, and trains, other things, because remember, for every person who gets on a train, the roads are a little clearer for people who want to drive. That's exactly so, it. I, I've, I've us, thought quite a bit about, yeah. you know, providing alternatives for people and the more autonomous cars and uh, will help traffic, everything like that. But as long, that would help me as a guy that actually wants to drive his car. So I think that's a good selling. As point. long as you're still allowed to <laughs> drive that car. Right. Yeah, exactly. I mean, let, let's be real clear here. You know, uh, there are companies in the automation space and AI and transportation self-driving who are agnostic. It's like all they say is this will be cheaper than owning a car. And it will be safer than you driving. I'm cool with that. Um, I'm not cool with them saying no steering wheel. You shouldn't. Our business plan means you won't need a car, and we're going to lobby to prevent you from owning a car. I'm opposed to that. How does that um, make them money? So, how do they? What What's the business plan? How are they? How does that, you know, keep them in the black? Well, I can't speak to that because I'm not. I'm neither a business strategist nor uh, a CFO in the sector. Um, I am. I'm a, let's just say, I'm an enthusiast of car ownership and freedom, but real safety. You know, I believe in personal responsibility, and I don't feel like I will never pay for something that I don't understand. Um, even if that means I have to substitute my own time and sweat to learn it better, I will. Uh, how do they make money? <laughs> I don't think anyone knows how 
any of the transportation mobility plays will work because none of them have been deployed yet. Um, right. It's the total know. wild, wild Uber, west right now, yeah, basically. Yeah. Uber's, yeah, I mean, Uber is losing their shirts on human-driven vehicles. Um, we, no one has deployed a self-driving car, a business model that's shown to work. Um, who can say? Right. So uh, what's the difference between good and bad semi-automation for people who love driving? Is there is there a compromise? Okay, so there uh, are two forms of semi-automation. The, uh, there's an organization called SAE, the Society of Automotive Engineers, uh, have these levels, you know, zero through five, which define a different you know, automation. Level four being um, a self-driving vehicle that's inside a fence. Level five, it works anywhere. I don't think level five is possible. But when you, two and three are semi-automated. Now, this is, a, this is something that very few people grasp, but it's very clear to anyone who's ever, I guess, flown a plane. The SAE levels use what's called series automation, meaning as automation is added, uh, human input is reduced. Every car on the road today is a series automation car in concept. So you activate cruise control, you don't have to work, you know, use the uh, gas or brake pedal. In a Tesla, you activate autopilot, you can kind of take your hands off the wheel, although you shouldn't. And so as the car takes over more and more responsibility, you pay less attention. That type of system is very dangerous for ground vehicles. Um, in a plane, it kind of works because you have pilots that are trained at a much higher level. And there's a lot less to run into. In, <laughs> as less to run into. But if you go into an Airbus or a Boeing, if you get into an Airbus, there's a thing called a flight envelope protection. As long as the system is functional and, and everything's cool, it will not let you pitch the plane forward or roll you know, more than you know, 30, 40 degrees or pitch it up and down 15 degrees. The plane, I'm not, it's not uncrashable, but the pilot is prevented from doing anything which would crash it. Hmm. That is the equipment. So a parallel semi-automated system in an Airbus, and Boeing has similar systems, but they're not as, they're not as, uh, I, a pilot can override them in a Boeing, but not in an Airbus. But if you were to get into a car, what is the equivalent of an Airbus flight envelope protection for the ground? It would be uh, ABS, traction, stability control, plus steering that will not let you go into a wall. That would be the uh, the approximate equivalent. Well, we've seen kind of a little system. bit about that maybe with like the cars that break themselves in traffic so you don't, you know, pile into the Adaptive car. Adaptive cruise yeah, control. Yeah, you know. Sure. Well, that's, but those systems are limited. In order for a system to be a parallel system, it's always on, it's always there, whether, no matter what you're doing, and will, will literally stop you from doing anything, not just single, you know, like, a, like a single vector error. So it would have to control, it would have to be there for steering as well. No one has deployed such a system. So how do you, how do you keep that from translating into lazy drivers that are just like, well, this thing's just going to save me. I don't need to, does well, it even matter? Apparently. A parallel system, you have to keep your hands on it, and if you don't, and if you don't, the car will come to a stop. So okay. it's conceptually the opposite. It's the opposite of every system on the road today. Only one company is building such a system that, or has publicly claimed to be building such a system. And ironically, it's Toyota, not known for being a driving brand, but they call it Guardian. And I believe that in the future, if Porsche and BMW and Mercedes and any of these companies want to be selling cars with steering wheels, they will have to deploy these systems. And they will become so advanced that drivers may not know they are there because driving education will be gamified and built into the car. 
So when you first buy your Porsche, I think in 25 years when you buy a Porsche, you will, it will not let you do very much at all. But over days and weeks as you drive it, the, the boundaries of what it will let you do will expand such that you may never know it's there until you make a mistake. Well, there's cars that, that kind of if, like register how you drive. Like I had a I had a newer Mercedes E-Class that I drove around for a little while. And if I wasn't paying attention, it would show a coffee symbol on there. So it's almost like the cars are starting <laughs> to learn if you're a, a piece They're of starting. Sh- you're not a good driver anymore. <laughs> They're starting. Um, so tip you, of the iceberg. Yeah. So we have a long way to go. Yes, we do. So you're a pretty busy guy. You're working on a lot of projects. Now, what people might not know is that you had a lot to do with the original Apex film which is on Netflix and it's the it's it's a film about hypercars and Koenigsegg and there's 918s in there but um and it's beautiful and that's one thing I really love about it is how beautiful that film is now there's an Apex 2 another film coming out which I didn't know what can you tell me about that project oh well I can take no credit for Apex 1 uh the producer director JF Musial is one of my best friends and he is the man who made that movie look the way it did it did um and I, actually, he asked me if I wanted to produce that film, and I said, no, no one will ever watch it. And I was hugely wrong. <laughs> Although I'm in the movie, uh, he, he's <laughs> – but Apex 2 is basically the director's cut uh, re-edit by JF Mutual of a documentary that should have come out years ago called 32 Hours, 7 Minutes. And Apex 2 is like the grand vision for what would be the greatest documentary about what it's like to go on a cannonball run and what it was like to go on the old races in the old days. So about half the movie is about David Maher and I breaking the record in 2006. And the other half of the movie is the true story of the US Express, which was the secret cannonball race in the 80s. And most of this footage has never been seen before. And most of it was tied up in litigation and legal issues for seven or eight years. So I think people are gonna love it. Uh, And we've already shown it to our, our attorneys We've shown it to members of law enforcement. Uh, the criminal statutes have all expired. Um, we're doing a screening. Uh, yeah, I do, we're doing a screening for the NYPD. I think we'll do one for the FBI. Um, it's going to be epic, and it should come out probably at the end of Q1 or probably beginning of Q2 of 2019. So wow. where will this be available on Netflix? Or uh, Well, it, it, the, the, we haven't picked our premiere location, but yeah, Netflix, iTunes, um, and people want to buy DVDs, we'll make a few for them too. Sounds so good, man. We're going to do a series of like drive-in movie kind of things, invite oh, police cool. cars, you know. Well, usual come stuff. on up to Minneapolis. We'd love to have you up here. That'd be great. Uh, I'd love to come. I'll show you the film in person. Sounds great. So uh, that's all I have for you, man. I'm probably going to hit you up. I saw that uh, you like audio stuff, so I'll probably when it's be sending you some messages of what I got laying around for audio equipment. But beyond that, I think <laughs> that's all we have for the uh, podcast today. I really appreciate you coming on and sharing all that information. Thanks so much, guys. I really appreciate being on because you guys are like legit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, thank we, you we appreciate that. There's a there's a lot of podcasts out there that uh, that drag their feet, but we definitely don't. So <laughs> thanks so much, guys. Good night. Yeah, take care of yourself. Bye bye. That was awesome. Really killer. I love that interview. I love hearing all that information from somebody that's so plugged in and so opinionated about right. this. So you can go over to Human Driving dot org it's not org right you got it pulled up on there don't you somewhere are you talking to the, the human driving association yeah the human driving association i think it's human oh, it's driving. human driving dot org yeah, yeah so head right. over to human driving dot org you can also look them up on twitter alex is on there on twitter a lot there's lots of commentary if you're interested in where this industry is going human driving on twitter there's lots of retweets of different news articles he kind of pulls everything together and kind of shows you what's going on that's awesome so if you're kind of trying to uh 
you know, bear down on what's actually happening. Right. This, that would be the way to do it. And they have all kinds of merch on their website. Like the shirt I'm wearing now, like I said, it says, you know, once driving is outlawed, only outlaws will drive, which, which I, I like. That. I absolutely love. Yeah. And there's one with like a gear shift on it that says, uh, come and take it. He's got his little hand on the gear shift. <laughs> so I really, really like that as well. Yeah. You know, awesome so, guy. Yeah. Awesome guy. So let's, uh, let's get into a little bit of news. What okay. have we, what have we got going on? I have no more show notes. So that's okay. I'll take it from here. Yeah. So, uh, rally ace, Walter roll recently Porsche kind of paid him because he obviously has a lot of history with Porsche. Yeah. Right. And, and I think Audi, too. Yes, he does. Yeah. He was one of the original like Audi S1 Quattro drivers. Yeah. Um, but he has a lot of uh, history with racing with Porsche. And so they brought him in to drive around the new Taycan. Yeah, the that's the new electric Porsche. thing. Exactly. Which, by the way, OK, they were thinking about selling 20,000 of them. Yeah. They're actually doubling their output based on interest. Forty thousand. That's still so, not much. Well, it's double what it was. Yeah, I guess. I don't. You think you really think they sell 40,000 911s? I bet they don't. I have no idea what I have no idea. Are. That would be a lot of 911s. 40,000. Yeah, I guess you're right. You know, because this is all I'm kind sure of. They sell that many Cayennes. And Macans and Cayennes. I'm sure they sell a, a ton of. But, right. you know, selling 40,000. You know, that's huge. This is. It'll be good. Yeah. Anyway, we've continue. talked about it. So anyways, uh, Walter Roll, he had this to say about the take on. It's crazy. In all my years of rallying, I never experienced such performance, Roll said. Uh, the Taycan goes so, goes so well at such speed, really tremendous. Really tremendous. <laughs> and, and he kept going. Is he buddies with our president? I know. I was like, tremendous. Tremendous. <laughs> so tremendous. I'm surprised because you can barely the notice the car. weight. The anymore. best car ever. <laughs> the engineers have done a great job, says Roll, on the tuning and have made ex excellent use of low center of gravity. The steering and even the brakes handle superbly. So uh, he was had these gl yeah, like glowing, glowing review. reviews, everything else, which were, you know, of course, on press from Porsche. Yeah, they had a little film that they put out and everything. Yeah, that's great, right? But? Well, then a bit later, he uh, went back on Twitter and was basically going back on. Let's uh, hold on. Like, everybody should know. Twit just stop going on Twitter. It's just right. all that Twitter does is get everybody in, in trouble. trouble. No, just good stop. point. Yeah, just stop. Just nobody use Twitter anymore. Just stop. Yeah. It gets you in trouble. You know, Trump doesn't need to be using Twitter anymore for sure. Basically, if you're a celebrity, why would you go to Twitter? Just all stop. it brings you is trouble. It just polarizes people. Just get off Twitter. Okay. So the German wasn't done talking about the Tikan. On Wednesday, he posted less than curated comments on the car about one month ago quote i had to i had i'm sorry about one month ago i had the task to carry out a test for our take hand for our carrera tv in the run-up i had already indicated that i would do an objective test on the driving dynamics and perform performance of the take hand which is not influenced by my absolute rejection <laughs> the test showed as i had expected the power dynamics and everything else are typical porsche it was absolutely sensational and passed along to our engineers with great enthusiasm but the objective assessment does not change my conviction and critical attitude towards e-cars in urban traffic or in people with a second and third car or those who believe that an electric car is good for the environment. May the e-car be successful. But for me, it will always be a mistake. <laughs> so <laughs> obviously, as Porsche's like PR experiment, that didn't go too well. So they imagine going to him. They're like, all right, Walter. 
I yeah. know you hate these, but can we please have an objective review? And he's like, yes, I'll give you an objective review. But what he didn't say is he was going to go on later. <laughs> and then and a say, month later and say how that. he really felt. Yeah. So he, this isn't, I guess, the first, uh, what would you call it, kind of controversial words from Walter Roll. What else, what else did he, he say? This was a while ago. He went on to talk about his rallying days. You know, he once commented that he would have hated to have been beaten in the 1982 World Rally Champion by his Audi teammate, Michelle Mouton. Simply Mouton. because she was a woman. I would have, <laughs> quote, I would have accepted second place in the champion Chuhanu Mikola, but hadn't, but can't be except being beaten by Michelle, Roll told the Glasgow Herald. This is not because I doubt her capability as a driver, but because she's a woman. <laughs> oh, Which, is that better? Like, you're not upset because she's a bad driver. You're just upset because she's a woman. Like, that didn't help. No, Walter. no, no. I, I not, not a great look. Not a great I look. Know. All right. So next story. But here. let's just say. I'm with them. I, I, I feel what I don't feel like electric cars are a mistake, but I do like the, uh, I like, I, I like the boldness of his statement. Right. For sure. I mean, he's obviously an old school guy. That's cool. Yeah. Because it, you know, you think about it, it probably detracted from like what he does as a driver. Absolutely. Everything right? he stands for is, is foundation on is the foundation is built on something so else. You entirely. can kind of understand where he's coming from. Right. All right, All right, what else we got? So this is a story out of Norway. This is really disturbing. Okay. The Norwegian Data Protection Authority is now arguing that GPS-based taxation for the amount of kilometers driven by car is the way to go. So basically, it's going to become, instead of doing like uh, gas tax. and Exactly. Uh, well, here's the deal. They're probably still going to have the gas tax. Right. Still going to have the, the, the road taxes. And they're going to add this other tax on, on top of it. But here's the point is that they're... To to figure out how far you drive, they need to know where you went. Yep. Exact how long it took GPS you to get there. Coordinates. They how, need to know how fast you were going, where you parked. Did you park illegally? Did you drive too fast illegally? So basically, no, 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 no. no. I don't think they're going to be looking into that yet. Right, but, but that gives the, them the opportunity to that's do so. The potential of it, because if they pass a law that says this, and then all of a sudden they have this huge database of information on people, some government guy is going to be like, hey, look. We can just find out who's been speeding. Exactly. It's almost, it's almost like it's not quite like pre-crime, like with minority. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Where minority Tom report, Cruise where they, just they know he was going to murder someone. If or, they know you're going to murder someone, they yeah. just basically put you in jail to begin with. This is it's kind of borderline. Like we're going to go find out right. who you are so, and what you're doing and and basically revoke your driver's license. Uh, Norwegians believe that this system will eliminate the need for road tax, fuel tax and toll roads and reduce the cost of car insurance because now it's just basically usage tax. Never in the history of <laughs> humanity has I've heard this a million times from a million different politicians. This tax will eliminate the need for this other tax. And then they pass the tax. And the other taxes don't go away. Yeah, I'm sure. never ever ever happens i'm not i'm not against user fees necessarily okay. but let's not use that language because we know that's a lie so here's what's interesting why would norway even think about this like why is this an issue that they're starting to think about of course there's a ton of upside for the government having this control it's or at just, least information i'll say i'm that. sure that there's going to be something with this law that says but if you have an electric car or a Wrong. car Hold on. The reason they propose this is Norway has a high number of electric cars and an electric car is sold without any tax or VAT and has reduced road tax free of reduced toll road passages and does not contribute to fuel taxation. So they're basically not getting enough not road getting taxes. Tax. Yeah. So they're thinking, well, why don't we just do this usage tax based on GPS then? Yeah. Because so many people are driving electrical over there. They're losing, they're losing money. 
tons of money on gas taxes, basically. Yeah, because that's I think what it came down to. their gas tax rate must be, I don't know what it is, but I'm sure it's very, very high. Yeah. So they're just losing money hand over fist. Yeah. So, all right, moving on to the next story. So we've talked about the French, um, their protests, yeah, right? The, the, the yellow jacket. Is that what they were yellow calling vest, them? The yellow, yellow vest. The yellow vest, guys, where they were just... You know, they were going to raise the gas taxes and right. other stuff to it was try like and 50 percent. Yeah. To try, based on climate change, we're going to push the make it so it's harder to drive. Right. Blah, 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 and blah, so, blah. so people freaked out and they burnt down buildings and broke windows and right. flipped it was cars a over. Big deal. Yeah, we talked and about it. The reason they were using the yellow vest is because there's a law that says you have to have one in your car. Yeah, I kind of like it. So I it's like, like the clever, oh, you know, if you have to like if you break down somewhere, now you have a vest you can wear and be visible. So right. Like, well, screw you. We're going to wear a damn vest that you're making we, us wear. Yes, exactly. Because I am in distress. <laughs> <laughs> so we're gonna all right. So okay, so these French protesters they got their way with that tax, but they weren't done. Recently, French protesters destroyed over 60% of all of the country's traffic cameras. Yes, I love it. <laughs> I love it. So the country has approximately 3,200 traffic cams in total. Jesus. And they did uh damage, which was what estimates of completely replacing a destroyed oh each unit is 114,000 so 100 let's just call it 100 grand oh man so there's 3200 of these things at 100 grand is that 3.2 million dollars worth of it's something of, like that and then the 60 percent because they didn't get quite all of them but anyways there was something about taxing. i'm just thinking about the initial but here's the deal what's that what kind of revenue do these things raise exactly they, those things are going to be fixed and back in action like tomorrow <laughs> because they're going to need to raise revenue from that stuff yeah sure but hey if they keep burning them and setting them on fire that i love that that's revolution right there yeah. viva la revolution viva la revolution okay so uh, we love germany because of the autobahn right the this autobahn is the last is, standing bastion for like free speed no holds barred it in the, certain areas it is <laughs> where you can go as fast as you want in so, certain areas when i when i was in berlin i to to meet akim the guy who de yep. designed for Bugatti, we got in his we got in his 911. We're kind of tootling around Berlin talking. Right. And then we get on the freeway and he just goes. Yeah. And I'm like, what the F is going You're not on? Used to it. I'm not used to it. And all of a sudden he's like, we're going about 140. Sure. And he's with one hand on the steering wheel and he's like motioning with his right hand, like <laughs> dictating it's with his arms, with body language. And he's just talking to me while yelling at me because the car is very, very loud. Right. And I'm just like, holy crap. We're going 140 <laughs> miles an hour. We're just having a conversation. Yeah. About car. Oh, yeah. And it, it was, was no big deal. It was great, but we got to where we were going which, pretty quick. Which goes to our guest Alex's point. Why can they do that? Because they're, they have better training, they're right? Better. Well, and they're used to that. If you and if you hover in the left lane or everything like that, oh yeah, you're gonna get killed. <laughs> or if you get caught, you're going to lose your driver's license. Right. One of the problems here is that you go out and you make a you commit a crime in your car, whatever, sure. drunk driving, speeding, anything else. You go in, you see the district attorney. They're like. They're there. Don't do it again. And they give right. you a little ticket or whatever, the, or you right. lose a few points, points off your driver's license. Pints. <laughs> That's more DUI. <laughs> you lost all the pints. No pints oh. for you. Yes, but I know what you mean. The, the uh, consequences be, aren't as severe. And if they were, well, think of it this way. I think it cost a ton of money to get your driver's license, too. In Germany. Oh, sure. You know, and you have to go through like training okay. and everything like that. Anyway, so, that's so regardless, why, yeah, Autobahn. that's why it's right. You're, but, you don't die when you're on the Autobahn because everybody's a pretty competent driver. I right. wonder what they think about Americans that go, <laughs> they go over and they rent a whatever and they go on the well, Autobahn. I can tell you Italians are terrible drivers or at least extremely aggressive. So I don't know if there's a difference there. 
I don't know if they're better drivers, but just are very aggressive. I'm going to guess that Italians don't have the same laws as Germans. Right. Just based but on But I'm the- just saying, I don't think it's the Americans they have to worry about in Germany. It's all the Italians that come over and are freaking crazy. And we just lost however many Italian listeners we have. We I'll have, have to many. check the I've Italian the charts. <laughs> I'll see how many Italians we have listening by. I'm sure there's a few. Sure. Okay. Well, anyways. Okay. Germany considers putting a speed limit on the entirety of the Autobahn. It's going to be a proposed 80 mile per hour limit. Why? Why? What, is it because What's, of fatalities, Chris? Is it because of, I don't know, trying to... I'm going to guess, mm-hmm. and I didn't read the article, it's fuel consumption. To curb emissions. Yes, I knew it. I knew it. I would have thought it would Bastards. have been about like, oh, some political play to try to make it no. safer out there. This is like the 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 version of you have to drive 55 miles an hour in the United States. to right. Every car almost... Almost every car made in Germany these days, even my sport wagon, yeah. you can set the cruise control at 110, 115 miles an hour and think nothing of it. It's extremely safe. Sure. The the Autobahn is very well maintained. So doing all this under the ruse of emissions just is like, oh, it's like soul crushing. So the is. exact opposite of what I want to have right. happen. It'll be interesting. So if everything's autonomous, then will you get to go quicker because it's more efficient? Or what about electric vehicles? Will that be more like I'm trying to think because so there is a sweet spot of efficiency in. So are you going to be able to drive as fast as you want on the Autobahn if you have an electric car? Right. That's what I'm wondering. I could see that being a thing. Like, well, whatever it takes to push that, whatever it takes to push the envelope on moving this stuff forward is is what we're going to see. So. All right. So next story here. Why don't we focus on the things that actually pollute like shipping? Shipping is like a because that's huge. commerce. Oh, you, oh, Chris, you can't get into our commerce and our GDP. It you is, un-American communist. Shipping is disgusting. It is a huge volume of pollution. Right, huge, massive. Right. Maybe we'll look up the statistics someday. But shipping lanes and everything like that is insane with pollution, like compared to cars. It's because you can't make an electric boat. True, but surely I know could, sailing ships. Remember back in the day, they did a whole lot of shipping just with sales. I don't think Amazon Prime is going to like that very much. <laughs> I don't, think I don't know. Be, I think I'm on to something. I don't here, think they're going to be a fan. All right. All right. Next story here. Uh, Porsche invests to get bigger, better augmented reality head-up displays in future cars, Chris. Now, this the, is what we've been waiting for. This is, this this is, is what cool. we've been waiting for. If, if I could go on track. Uh-huh. I, so I'm, I, I suck at Forza. I'm not good. I'm not great. I need I need to have the driving line on in the game. You know, when you're driving and there's like the little the little (laughs) green triangles. That's what this shows. I know that shows. It shows a guy in his Porsche 911 on the track and it shows the green driving line. I would love to have that. I'm and I'm such a I mean, everybody listening right now to roll because (laughs) (laughs) again, there goes all his tailing. Well, here's the thing is, like, if I was to get into a brand new GT3, with, right. there is no way, none, that I would be able to do anything <laughs> close to what the limit is unless right. I had some sort of guide. Now, ideally, you'd want like a, you'd want some sort of instructor with you to help you learn because this is right. this may help you learn the driving line, but it is not going to make you a better driver. It will not. I make mean, you- that's part of being a good driver, I'll say. Part of being a good driver is having the intuition of knowing what the car is going to do and how sure. it feels. Uh, and, and if it, you're staying in the line, you probably won't learn that, will you? You're not going to learn that because, <laughs> you know, you're coloring inside the lines. Yeah. Versus- so Porsche and also Hyundai, surprisingly, have uh, invested in a Swiss startup called Way Ray. And they could uh, they're developing better augmented reality technology in vehicle head up displays. 
the company's $80 million investment will help Wayray develop customizable holographic systems to supply information ranging from navigation to racetrack data. Here's what would be cool. You know, What's when that? you play fours or anything like that, you can download the ghosts of your friends. Yes, cars. exactly. Yeah. So if you could download, like if I could grab like uh, our buddy Ryan Gates from 311RS, if yep. we could grab like his, his, cause he drives Brainerd a lot. So let's right. say we go up to Brainerd, hop in my car, got my augmented display and there he is right there. Oh. And I can hunt him down and I can spend all day driving right behind him and figuring out his line. And then when he comes on track for real, I can smoke him. Or you could just, that's all it's going to take is a little drive wheel to wheel with someone. More dangerous. True. More dangerous. Okay. Um, I think that this would be a good training. Good for training. Okay. Like if you were in the PCA or something like that, it would be like, hey, you know, you can't go drive out with the real cars until you do 20 laps with augmented reality. And then you can turn that off and go drive with the real cars. That's a cool idea. You know, I don't so maybe, mind that. Maybe I don't mind do that in like that. that use case. So when I read this article, I love this and hate this at the right. same time. Well, here's so I don't mind that looking at it from that lens. When I read about this, what came to mind was, did you see at the SEC show or no CES consumer electronics show this year? Audi was there. Some a lot of manufacturers go there to like look at their fate, their latest infotainment or yep, whatever. Yep. So Audi was there with their A8 or something to that effect and you got into the car and it basically projected everything on the screen and it moved like it's air suspension so that it looked like you were like flying it's, in it's a like jet or something. It's like pneumatic, isn't it? Or right. not hydro-pneumatic, hydro-magnetic. Like yes. It's got like magnetic fluid. Well, that's that, that's for the like dynamic ride control. Well, that's what it's doing, isn't it? Just like increasing No, that's to stiffen up your dampeners was what oh. you're thinking of. I think it has to be either air springs I bet or it does it with the sway bars. Sure. What, what, however it was, it would like, ooh, you could park there. And while you're waiting, you can make your car into like a roller coaster. So it looks like you're going on a roller coaster. And your car you know moves I, with it. It's just so, so stupid. stupid. So here's, here's, the, here's what's going on. What? If you look at just w- next time you're watching TV. Mm-hmm. Now, the thing is, I don't really watch TV with commercials anymore unless I'm watching sports. Okay. So every, next time you're watching a sport or you're not really into sports ball. And I know you don't watch a lot. Of I'm sports, not. But when you watch TV, you watch the commercials. And you watch car commercials. Sure. Everything now is like. We've got technology oh, yeah. in our car. Well, you can't, and I can tell nobody's, you. Nobody's selling. Uh, I haven't seen a commercial from BMW that says the ultimate driving experience. You remember those? The they ultimate still drive, have I'm that sorry, as a tagline. The ultimate driving machine. Sure. I haven't seen that. Is that still there? Maybe not machine, but I think experience. You actually, I think, coined it because they changed it. Oh, I could did be they? wrong, but I think that's the case. Well, and I was just, before I go into my rant, that... I'm sorry to say, outside our circle of like car guys, that's what people are looking for. I know. Oh, I want the big screen there. I want the Apple Play Connect. I want, you know, the blind spot awareness and everything else. And I don't know. It's just not on my list. But obviously, I I mean, these guys spend a lot of money doing market research. So they know what people want. And this is it. Well, it's also a lot of that stuff is also required by government now regulations like right. the backup camera stuff That's like that true. so they have to kind of sell it as like ooh, it's a feature ooh, it's technology so it's kind of like go well you know what sucks about that you can't sell your old tahoe <laughs> oh. i had a guy come look at it but he didn't he didn't buy it because it didn't have the backup camera chris that's true it didn't have the backup yeah. camera no. no i my whole thing about with all this technology being loaded in i don't know is this because cars are boring now and people want more of driving excitement and this is maybe a different way to interject it without making like a performance car this isn't driving excitement this is this is nerd excitement this even not even nerd excitement this is just 
Getting this is like putting a, a TV on your refrigerator. Yes, or in the bathroom. I've seen people with, ba- which actually would be pretty I was cool. going to say, I'm not opposed to that, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> Having a little screen where I was All right, there. we're going to end that right there. <laughs> uh, <laughs> on that note, no. I was just trying to think what I would watch. <laughs> Silence. Anyway, what a- <laughs> we'll uh, we'll take up the last story here because I thought this was kind of cool. Laser headlights are coming, Chris. Great. Is this this be- is the future? How can we weaponize this? <laughs> <laughs> All right. So a little his- we'll turn this into like a super condensed little history story. So Shuji Nakamura. He's Japanese. Okay. Won the Nobel Prize in Physics in 2014 for his work with LEDs, light emitting diodes. These are, you know, kind of the latest in lighting tech, right? Right. So Nakamura figured out how to make white light, which requires, I didn't realize this, red, green, and blue light to create. So they don't just have like white LEDs. It's a combination of all of those other colors to create the white. So up until then, red and green were really easy to make with an LED, but no one could make blue light. It was okay. exceedingly difficult to do, at least not the kind required for these white LEDs. So Nakamura and two colleagues used semiconductor gallium nitride to do it, and voila, white light LEDs and a Nobel Prize in physics. Yeah, great. Good job on him. So this Nakamura guy. That's all it took for the Nobel Prize. Just a little bit of little bit of work. I'm sure I simplified <laughs> it a little bit. Sorry, Nakamura. But he's now a part of a team at California company, at a California company called SLD Laser, making highly efficient laser lights. So here's what's interesting. Laser lighting offers 100 times the luminance of LEDs. Okay. They offer 10 times the range. Can you imagine (laughs) some guy not turning his bright lights off and your your retinas are just seared like you're just blind forever? Yes. Okay. So actually get to that. (laughs) So it offers 100 times the luminance of LEDs. That's ridiculous. And 10 times the range. So even if it is exactly the same luminance, because of the wave form and the way that works... I forget what laser stands for, but it's something defined in that the yeah. way it projects it. It actually goes further. So it throws light over one kilometer and uses less power. While it taking just doesn't up less space. It doesn't have roll. You're off. Right. It doesn't You're disperse. Right. That's, like that's a good way of saying. So SLD laser, this company, they are producing headlights that can shape and focus so that instead of a couple big headlights mounted at the front corners, a single small light can be used and it can just dynamically create different beam patterns. Oh, Tesla will love this because they're all about ruining what a car actually looks like. <laughs> well, this, you, I think so you it was Studebaker back in the 40s. No grill. Yeah. No headlights. Single headlight. <laughs> so no grill, no headlights. The mouthless cyclops. Literally going to be a blob with a windshield that we're not allowed to drive. Right. Okay. Yeah, yeah that works. Um, SLD laser lights are UL certified too. So they won't actually fry your eyeballs. If they you will if they're a hundred times brighter. Well, because they won't I, there's actually, like, like I've had LASIK surgery. I don't think these will do the same thing by accident. Probably not. <laughs> you just, you just, hey, after I got home from work today, I, I can see a lot better. I don't understand, yeah, I don't but know. I did look at this Tahoe and it burned a little bit. But I, <laughs> so hand me that newspaper. I can read it just fine. <laughs> European laws are actually written already to accommodate laser lighting. So that's common. It's coming. SLD is confident that U.S. buyers will be able to get them to as soon as complex U.S. federal regulations are brought up to speed. When are we thinking this is? As soon as U.S. federal regulations (laughs) are brought up to speed. Well, the government's been (laughs) shut down for 31 days now. So So not anytime soon. All right. Well, that wraps it up. Jake and I are going to go record the Patreon exclusive episode right now. So if you want to be able to hear that as well, head over to patreon.com slash overcrest. Now, it's easy. 
You just go over there, you sign up, uh-huh. five, 10 bucks, and there's an app that you can use on your phone. You could actually listen to the podcast there. Get notifications. You get notifications. You can post there. We do we exclusive do some, content. Yep, that's where it will be. Um, thanks a lot, guys. We really hope you enjoyed today's episode. I know I did. It was one of Absolutely. my one of my favorites. Um, we'll see you guys next week. Take care.